Hi everyone, this is the first episode of the Pedal Podcast, and some of you might know me from the Tennis Nerd Podcast, where I was um, on a weekly basis, but I felt like uh, with the growth of Pedal, um, it definitely needs a lot more attention, and therefore this is the right platform to talk to people from that industry. Every week, I will talk to someone who has a deep connection with Paddle, and some really exciting guests are lined up. My first guest is Ben Nichols, who is the CEO and founder of Paddle 22. I'm I'm just happy that you're here. Thank you for the um for for accepting my invitation. Oh, what well, pleasure! Thanks, Dennis, and uh, I'm honored to be your first guest. <laughs> it's a real privilege. So look, I'm. Looking forward to seeing the podcast go on and on, and the you know the sport isn't going anywhere. So I'm sure this podcast is going to be on the up and have more and more people tuning in. Uh, yeah, real real delight to be joining you today, um, and yeah, to tell you a bit more about Paddle Twenty Two and how I got involved in the sport and what I'm what I'm trying to do with the business. Yeah, thank you very much. It's great to have you, and you know, obviously, who else um, to start off with than uh, an already established member of of the Paddle community. Um, um, we we connected on LinkedIn uh, a few months back, and we we started talking, and and obviously you you started uh, dropping a lot of great ideas uh, towards me, and and I was really receptive to the ideas, um, and we we never know what where it might lead us because uh, you're a communications expert, um, and um, and we we might do some shared podcasts as well in the in the future because I'm I'm really happy to do that and to to even ponder that um, opportunity. Um, and yeah, first of all, I just want to ask a few basic questions from you: How you got into paddle? What is paddle twenty two? And just a, a a bit of an understanding on on what your connection is with the fastest growing sport in the world. Absolutely. Well, my my background, I've always I grew up as a, a racket sports player. So I played a lot of tennis and a lot of squash when I was younger um, and then started off my career in tennis. I, I worked at the ATP, uh, did an internship with them in Florida, starting off my career. And then I've really had about, you know, approaching 20 years uh, career in sports communications and PR. So on the promotion side of sports and um, be that with federations, be it with um, yeah governing bodies, tournaments, events, athletes, brands, you name it, all the different people that operate within sport. Um, and I've been, the last four or five years, I've been working as a consultant, um, again, working with those different sectors within sport, based in the UK, but working with clients all over the world. And I was out in Dubai about, uh, must have been about three, four years ago, um, where my sister lives. And um, as seems to be the, the, you know, the way it happens with Paddle, um, she said, oh, I'm playing this sport called paddle, which I'd heard of, but didn't really have much of an impression of, um, you know, you, I need a fourth player. So will you come and be that fourth player? Because someone's pulled out. And I'm sure this is a story time and time again, people here. And so I thought, well, look, you know, the, the weather's good here. I don't need to worry about, is it going to be bad conditions? <laughs> and uh, I think I'll, you know, show up and see what it's like and see if my squash and tennis mix would help. Um, and it, you know, it did. I felt I could hit the ball pretty quickly early on and hit it well. And and that was, um, yeah, the years hopefully of playing racket sports. So instantly I felt I could pick up this game and I was hooked like so many people. And that's to me, that's the number one, what I call trump card that paddle has is it just has an ability that probably tennis and other sports don't have to get people being able to play at a level that's, you know, okay, pretty quickly. And so I played there for the first time and then I came back to the UK. There weren't any courts. 
There still aren't many courts yet, but it is changing. Um, and then from a career point of view, about a year ago, I um, had an opportunity to do some work in paddle. I did some work out at the Premier Paddle um, tournament in Paris in Roland Garros last summer. And then that rolled into a, um, a contract. I was starting with the LTA, um, obviously the governing body for tennis in the UK, uh, in the strategic communications. And part of that role I had for them for three months was towards the end was to work on paddle um, and, and, and basically look after PR for the GB paddle team at the world championships back in Dubai, funnily enough. And that kind of led me to think, okay, what am I going to do next? And I'd got to know quite a few people in the paddle world very quickly and just thought there was a big opportunity in the market for a communications marketing consultancy specifically for the sport. So that's what Paddle 22 is. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Um, it's it's quite an interesting one that you mentioned it. And um, and just to, to put my perspective on paddle here as well because uh not everyone knows um what my connection is to paddle um we started off uh which i i sort of told ben uh, off air is that we we started off um with the tennis nerds Giannis. uh we started off this series which is called the um, uh, tennis nerds uh route or journey to becoming a, a paddle nerd and now i'm, I'm as much as a, a of a paddle nerd as i am with uh, with tennis almost um and um it is quite quite an exciting scene where i'm based because it's is bristol and um bristol is is becoming uh the biggest paddle center um in in the uk pretty much all of a sudden because uh for now at the moment it's just pedal for all which has four courts uh which is always fully booked and and it's a great place to be you know really good really good tournaments and it and it's a lot of fun and there's going to be my first uh, tournament ever as well, which I will uh, talk about later, or I will come out with a piece or something like that. But um, what I wanted to uh, reflect on, and, and it's quite an interesting one, uh, that the LTA is governing uh, the whole of the pedal at the moment. And what do you reckon? Will there be like a separate entity um, which will govern paddle? Because as, as quickly as this thing is growing, um, there is definitely a need for just a separate governing body, isn't it? It's a, yeah, it's a big question. Um, look, I mean, they, I think the LTA did a, a really, you know, uh, clever thing, I suppose. Good thing, clever thing a few years ago by taking on Paddle. Um, uh, you know, the governance of Paddle in the UK, they could see the upward trajectory of the sport. Um, and I guess if the LTA didn't, someone else would. So it's a, a shrewd business move. Um, yes, there's the the sort of link between paddle and tennis. They're both racket sports. They both use a, a yellow ball. They both have a net. But in my view, they're very different sports. Squat, you know, paddle is no no more similar to tennis than than it is squash. So I think the idea that it's some kind of um, younger sibling of tennis, I think, is a bit patronizing. I think it's a separate sport. I think it needs its own identity. Yes, a lot of tennis players will move into paddle naturally, but so will squash players. Some badminton players might, you know, so and, and plenty of people who don't, you know, who've never really played racket sports will will play paddle and probably get to quite a good level. So I think, yeah, look, it's its own sport. Um, and I think over time, what shape that takes in terms of the federation level? Yeah, it would be interesting. There's a lot of people out there who would argue, yes, it will need its own federation. It's probably not at that stage yet, but in a you know in a few years' time, if it if it does kind of reach the levels that that some are expecting in the UK, um, there will be some calls for you know it doesn't need its own federation. Is there a conflict of interest with tennis? 
What about the funding? What about the, you know, the competition between these sports? And they're all trying to make their own way, right? Especially with the next generations who a lot of kids are not getting into sport. So sports are having to really fight hard to even attract people into their sport um, and get them, you know, away from gaming, away from screens. Um, so to do that, they're going to have to be, you know, some of them will have to be ultra aggressive in terms of how they can get them playing their sport rather than another sport. So there'll be all sorts of competition in the sport landscape, I think, in the years ahead. Um, and what that looks like in terms of governing bodies, I don't know. So look, I'm a little bit on the fence with it because I think right now it's the right thing to have a governing body that can, you know, that has the LTA's clout and has that um, influence to take on this sport. Um, but in the years ahead, what shape is that going to take? Um, and what's, you know, at the moment in the UK, you know, it's really the private sector driving this sport, setting up the courts, the facilities, et cetera. That's private money coming in. Um, and I think that's great to see. I'm a big fan of the private sector. That's how things move quickly, as we know. So um, I think it's a case of watch watch this space. Um, and, you know, in some in some countries, there'll be there are paddle only federations as well. So. Um, it will, again, I think time will tell what's what's the right model um, and what works best. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just a comparison in um, in Hungary, where it actually started off a little bit quicker than uh, than than in the UK, because the UK really kicked off just about a year ago, pretty much. So it, it is, uh, I mean, to to a certain extent, because um, now paddle courts are becoming a theme, a topic. It's 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 such. It's such a great atmosphere in terms of the pedal players and and in terms of what can be reached and and how the whole whole thing is approached. It's it's great. I mean, I'm I'm really excited about it. And I was um I've been playing tennis since I was four years old. I'm now 37, so you know, 33 years in 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 a sport. And all of a sudden, something else comes up, which is arguably the closest to tennis because I think it is in many ways. Like you know, you have all the strokes. You have all the shots. The shot making is pretty similar, but you have to be a lot more, lot more um, patient in in pedal than in tennis. So that's that's quite an interesting one for me as well, because because I'm an attacking tennis player. So I'm I'm trying to to put that one in in the same thing as as like in uh, as like in um, in tennis, but no. but it is it is totally different. And what I what I wanted to basically do the comparison is that in Hungary, there's already a federation which is solely focused on paddle. And it's great mm -hmm. to see that. And but in the meantime, the British players are a lot better than the best of the Hungarian players. So there might be the Spanish influence on that one, because a lot of a lot of uh, tennis players who were maybe not the best tennis players went to Spain to even practice, but I'm just assuming here. So I don't really know uh, a topic or a theme emerging here, but I can see that the British players are not too far away from getting actually into the top hundred of, of the pedals, uh, pedal. Yeah. So it's great. And I just wanted to ask you about your newest addition to pedal 22. Yeah, and I will I will come to that in one one second. There's one addition I wanted to mention there in terms of that the tennis and paddle crossover or link. There are different schools of thought, as you know. There are some people who very much are saying, "Yeah, oh, it's a it's a form of tennis. It's like a derivative of tennis." A little bit patronizing, my view, but and there's some who are pure paddleists saying, you know, they might have been tennis players formerly, but hey, look, tennis needs to back off a bit. <laughs> to be really frank about it, so look, it's you know, it's probably somewhere in between, but. 
for sure the skills are absolutely there's a lot of similar skills um you know the instincts maybe are slightly different that was certainly my impression when I first stepped on the court was you know I, I played a lot of squash so it was really messing with my instincts where I was knowing well, should I be volleying should I be leaving it etc um but right now you know does you know paddle increasingly I would say this is the point I want to make paddle increasingly doesn't need tennis as time goes on maybe it you know a year two three four years ago no one had really heard of paddle in, in countries like the UK so if it could ride on the coattails of tennis and play on that tennis brand it was probably quite helpful but actually over time and depending on participation rates in tennis and other traditional sports does paddle need tennis so much probably not it probably wants its own space uh, so look, that's that's one to let simmer but um, yeah, really, really, you know, delighted to be working with Tia Norton, um, who's the uh, British number one and, you know, is knocking on the door of the world's top, uh, well, the World Paddle Tour top 100. And um, I'm, you know, confident she's got an amazing career ahead of her. She's, you know, she, she's not even 20 yet. She's got a whole, whole career where she can just, you know, go on and thrive and I think really reach top, top levels. Um, and, you know, she's got an opportunity because she's arriving at a pretty young age as the sport is very young in the UK. So she can almost carry the sport's reputation a bit with her um, and carry fans and carry sponsors. You know, I think there's great opportunity for someone like Tia. And so, yeah, the idea of working with her is, um, you know, working with her and activate management, her, her talent agency is to, yeah, help build her profile and her, show her character and her personality. And, you know, they're, they're great athletes, these people, but actually they're all personalities, all individuals in their own way. And And people, if they're investing in a sport, if they're, becoming fans they all want to know the people and who they are as individuals so so our job at paddle 22 is absolutely to tell the story of Tia what she's doing on the court but who she is off it what her passions are why she's playing you know and and really kind of bring her bring her brand to life so that people want to get involved in the sport because she can she's got a great opportunity to inspire others and kids particularly to get involved in the sport in the years ahead and so our job will be to help her help her do that yeah, just to reflect on on what you said about um, writing the the tales of of tennis, and and I think this is a revelation for tennis as well as much as for paddle that the the emergence of paddle because when you look at how many people are on tennis courts and how many people are on paddle courts now, paddle is definitely riding that wave and and it's it's really really making a lot of uh waves as well but what i was what i was thinking and and i and i really like your your thinking of of actually tennis doesn't necessarily have to be um connected to battle and i don't think it has to be either because it's a totally different thing and and all the all the mistakes of tennis and i'm talking about uh the same issues over and over and over again that only the mm -hmm. the top 100 players can really live from it and mm -hmm. and what i was surprised and and i even talked about it in um in one of the podcasts that um the the whole um money kitty of of the uh WPT which is the world pedal tool, tour mm. is the same as what Novak Djokovic won on the Aussie Open alone. Mm. Yeah. So it is it is pretty insane. And and now obviously as much as as now BT Sport is covering all the WPT tournaments and it's and it's an unbelievable spectacle. So not a lot of people do actually realize that how amazingly complex uh thinking you need for pedal 
and how amazing the rallies are. So, I mean, whenever I, I want to just show to some people how great Paddle is, I just put on the highlight reels and they, they're just absolutely hooked because it is, um, and it's a lot quicker than tennis. And that was the problem with tennis that a lot of people, not like myself, because I can sit in front of the TV for six hours without a problem watching a, a, a Titanic battle between Nadal and Djokovic or whatever, the 80s, yeah. again, the 90, 92nd in the world. Mm -hmm. But it's not really for me. It's for the young generation mm -hmm. who really doesn't have the attention span as as nowadays all the like you know us we don't mind sitting yeah. in front of a, a book yeah. reading it for four and a half five hours even so i mean i would love to have that um yeah but that's why paddle can really really thrive and that's why i really like the whole idea of of um of paddle really coming forward and 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 correcting these mistakes what has happened with tennis that yes to be world number one and you know Ale Galan and obviously Juan Lebron, they're unbelievable and and they do make a really good living. I'm not sure about the 50th in the mm -hmm. world, but at the moment, until the prize monies aren't really there, and that's where the the sector, what you said, the private sector, really comes into play. Um, yeah. What I wanted to also ask of you is is a totally different thing, but while I I I will be possibly focusing on more of of gear. Um, reviews as well what is your racket or bat and what what is uh, tia norton's uh bat because uh these are the two things which which just popped in my head very good question so tia uh i believe plays with Knox. <laughs> um and myself i had a, a head racket i played with um and then i very generously got sent a um another racket to play with you'll be familiar with the cork rackets um from uh yeah max evans former rugby player who's now running that company and you know their obviously unique selling point is they're made of cork in portugal look nothing like the rest of the paddle rackets in the market so look i'm not a i'm not a high high professional level by any means paddle player i'm an amateur um so can i tell the difference between the paddle rackets a little bit um would the pros be able to look at the cork racket and uh, see a difference for sure they'll have their views on it i'm sure but um, from my perspective, I enjoy playing with that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, look, that's the, that, that's, that's what I'd say about that. I think what, one thing I would, would add is it's, you're touching on it there, but like paddle, it has such an opportunity to sport. And I don't say that because I'm, I've, I've started getting involved in working in the sport, but it's just everything I've seen. It has such an opportunity because when else you know, in, in the lifetimes of people like ourselves of our age, have we essentially had, you know, what is to us, okay, not to Spain and not to South America and other countries, but to a lot of the world is essentially a new sport arrive in our lifetime, um, which, you know, we've had football and the mainstream sports and golfs and tennis, which have been around way beyond my time. Um, so they've just evolved naturally. They've become more business-like as things are professionalized. But Paddle has, again, in countries like the UK and Hungary, has a, a, essentially just arrived. Um, so it has an opportunity having, you know, for, for those working in the industry to take all the learnings of what other sports have done well to reach people, to get people involved um, over the years and what they've done badly. And essentially to be like, how can we do this the best possible based on all this information we have for how to market a sport, to how to engage kids, for how to run events, for how to talk about it, for how, you know, just all of these learnings, we would think in this like age we live in is just information overload. 
we, we can take the best parts and be like, we can create the best marketed sport, the best presented sport, the best, most compelling sport to play, you know, all of these things. So I, look, there's a, I can't preach enough. There's a massive opportunity for this sport. It's going to take a lot of good people to, um, to put these things in place. But, um, but you know, the, the sky probably is the limit here because it is hugely engaging getting on the number of people I've spoken to get on a court, never picked up really a tennis racket, you know, maybe once or twice and say, God, this is like hugely addictive. So you don't hear that about many sports. You definitely don't hear it from adults much about getting into something new later in their life. So I think, um, look, I've taken you a bit off topic there, Dennis, but I think it's really important that the, the sport, you know, tries new things and does things that other sports haven't done. What I wanted to put here as well, because it just popped in my head that um, also there's no rivalry at the moment. I feel like everyone is is really want to put their head into it, like sort of a big brainstorm and just just move it forward. Why I say that is that I'm, I, I started uh, connecting with a lot of uh, paddle personnel on LinkedIn. And there's no rivalry between them. And there's no rivalry in terms of like the rackets either or the racket brands or bat brands. Um, and and that is that is something great to see. So they're they're not they they are trying to push the sports forwards rather than than looking at the small picture. Like yeah. they, they want to sell the most, or uh, for example, um I I I obviously follow Sandy Farku Harson, who's who's an unbelievable um I would even say he's he's like um, a front runner for the sport and what he does in in the UK and how he is running the pedal school, and Absolutely. and and he's he's a great and and it's the Farku Harson uh, brothers. Uh, it's not just Sandy, obviously, um, but I really like the the whole thinking process behind it and what you're saying. And it's absolutely not off topic because that's the whole point of of this first episode, basically. To, to talk about why paddle is different and why why a lot of people should should um and I wish they they would pay for it even the paddle federation to to just uh to just hear why why it is it is it that good because we were just hooked on it not long ago I was just hooked on it literally half a year ago and I'm absolutely absolutely devoted to to push paddle forwards and that's why that's why I even gave up my my um my um young uh life's love uh, in tennis and and push pedal because pedal itself is such a great sport and it's really addictive and what you're saying there's a lot more opportunities in terms of like what can be reached so yeah no i i i absolutely agree and i and i and i hope that this will be something which uh which will um and as I say, you know, the coverage is already there with BT Sports. So so they were really, really good with with uh, signing the rights. And I guess to sign the rights now for, I don't know, five years was a lot cheaper than it will be in two years. Um, and the, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, and this is the other thing, actually. It's like from a commercial point of view, if you're a brand wanting to enter the sport, uh, if you're a broadcaster wanting to start to air it to, to your population, yeah, look, it, when do you want to get involved? Do you want to get involved early early doors now where it's a cheap cheap sport to get involved in in terms of you know the right the cost of rights um or sponsorship and because you can see and you can almost predict how popular this could be and how many people you will reach or do you wait for it to become popular and wait for it to realize its potential and then and then come in at a later stage which is maybe less risky but going to cost more money because the sport can can value itself more highly so like it's 
it comes down to a bit of risk taking from brands from broadcasters what what approach they take but look i think as with all these industries like it's it's the kind of the pioneers that people that take a risk that have a go uh you know there'll, there'll be mistakes along the way but actually um a lot of those that take those risks will be thankful in years to come that they entered when they did because they got a an advantage from being the first in the in their sector so look there's 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 that approach to to weigh up and and yeah absolutely you know that you know sandy and tom you know they're all great pioneers for the sport and doing great things um and very much have that forward thinking mentality how can we you know project the sport in a way that perhaps hasn't been done and bring in as many people and that all comes from a heart of yeah absolutely loving the sport and wanting to take it to as many people in as many different countries so these are the guys that are going to be um yeah I guess the people we look back on probably in the years to come and and helped shift it much quicker than it will have done. Um, do you have any courts around where you live? No, this is one of the problems. So like I look, I partly my fault. I live in a rural area in Warwickshire. So um, I'm probably a, yeah, 40 minutes from the nearest court. Um, look, it is changing. I know there's stuff in the pipeline to open a bit closer but um and that's the you know a state of much of the uk so look unless you live in maybe maybe bristol or maybe london or the southeast you're probably not spoiled for choice of options uh but look that's a very different answer to what i might give you in two years when i'm sure there'll be things close by so it's i'm aware it's changing the obviously the issue in in britain is very much planning commission takes time and is a slow process so there's lots there's lots i've heard that's in the pipeline and I guess we have to be a bit patient with it and um, and know that it will come. And another interesting question. Don't you think that it's a bit too quick now what, what's happening? Because there's there's this question with Bristol that now there's going to be 31 indoor courts within like literally a couple of months. Um, and from four up to 31, will there be enough players, you reckon? It's Bristol's really interesting. Like, you know, I know Bristol's a, you know, it's a great city. It's a big city. It's, you know, got a lot going for it. But every time I hear about paddle opening in Bristol, I'm like, is there some secret that the rest of us don't know about? Because <laughs> clearly there's something in the water that's attracted in the seven. I don't know that's attracted people there, but it's, um, yeah, look, you know, it's a big population. So for sure, there'll be, there'll be demand. But once the awareness is there, and that's, again, that comes sort of back to my job and what I'm trying to do as a company is, you know obviously do work for our clients but the bigger job is actually raising the sports profile because then it becomes easier to <laughs> to to get people known um and to, to to do our job essentially because you know the sports awareness is much higher and journalists know about it and people are more engaged with it and less focused on just football or just football and cricket or golf or whatever the main you know the, the most attractive sports are um the mainstream sports really so um look to yeah to answer your question i think um yeah bristol must have um have some kind of secret there of why it's uh why it's the place to go to um but that you know there'll be there'll be and it, a lot of it comes down to sites and land doesn't it in the uk people will have their plan a's and plan b's but maybe it's only plan c where they can get the the site to build on um but there'll be i'm sure there'll be pockets that you know there are pockets emerging all over the uk um it will just be interesting to see yeah, how if you could see a map of paddle courts in the UK, almost like one of those heat maps, um, seeing where the gaps are, um, it's going to be interesting as well. Yeah, because it's a worry, I have to say. I mean, I would be more than happy to see that all 31 courts will be fully booked all the time. But I, I sort of have a fear that it might be a bit too all of a sudden. 
because yeah. and you yeah you absolutely could be right there because yeah is the is the yeah, the 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 supply is going to be ahead of the demand perhaps um but yeah i mean yes but I, you know look it comes down to again times of day right so on peak on peak times you know can you get people in the evenings and weekends absolutely during the day that's the big challenge for any pub paddle club opening um is yeah how are you going to fill those 10 a.m 9 a.m to 4 p.m slots um and that's going to come down to again that comes down to some quite clever marketing it comes down to reaching students uh reaching corporate you know businesses who wants to have like away days or team building activities um you know uh, kids and who you know who's 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 really leading on the kids de paddle development in the uk we are paddler doing some great work on that in derby um but who's going to be gen you know developing that side of things and getting kids on those courts during the day as well so that you know that those courts can be filled but you have to think a bit more creatively as who's available and not at work essentially have any of the um, of the uh, pedal centers reached out to you to to do the communication for them, or they are all doing trying to do it internally? Have yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a mix. Yeah, so we're doing doing some kind of project work at the moment for different um, clients. We've been doing some work for Ladap and We Are Paddle, who are uh, yeah, very you know again, fantastic organization, great business model. I think with Ladap, and they're just starting to enter new markets, as you know. Bristol is one I think that's on the way. They've got Derby, which is currently, as we speak, the largest centre in the UK. And what they've done it there actually is really interesting in terms of going to a not going to a tennis club venue, but going to a very much like you know it's very much in football territory up there. It's opposite the football club stadium. It's in a former five-a-side football venue, and it's a warehouse type. You know, I'm sure you've been a warehouse type venue. So look, their approach is yeah, very much to try and bring people in from outside of tennis and from outside of um yeah those kind of middle class sports maybe and get kids on on court so each of them will have their strategies um yeah to come back to your question yes absolutely had conversations with different clubs be they standalone clubs that maybe are, are one of setting up or maybe you know ones that have huge ambitions to roll out 30 40 clubs in the next four years in the uk so there's different levels of how how these how these centers are going to be rolled out um and I think the interesting thing is, you know, we hear a lot about also Game for Paddle, who've obviously been very vocal in terms of, um, you know, their ambassadors with Andy Murray, Virgil van Dijk, and, you know, their various investors. Um, but there's going to be a lot of op operators, I think, in a year or two that we're going to hear names of, names of. And it's all how they kind of position themselves, particularly in areas where there's, there's choice. So Bristol, how are they going to differentiate? How are you going to choose? um you know a, a rocket paddle over a we are paddle or a um, paddle for all you know what is going to be the the differentiator um and is it going to be the facility is it going to be the community feel it has in that club there's all going to be these little nuances that in areas where you've got choice and that's where they will have to you know really stand out and that's where communications will be more even more important so yeah it's um yeah, I think it's going to be it's getting increasingly busy um, with the clubs, and I th I think maybe later this year we'll start to see some of the the diggers in the ground and them come to life. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm hoping that it will be it will be the um, not the feared version that it will be all full and 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 it will be greatly communicated and and the sport will just uh, burst to life all of a sudden uh, because it already is in a way and and that's great to see. Um, I wanted to ask about the professional tour. If you if you know anything about like how the UK will um, will be um, 
eased into this. So at the moment, I I, I know that there was a, there was a tournament in um, I think it was in Dubai or Abu Dhabi. I'm not no Abu Dhabi was was the Grand Prix. Sorry. So um, re- re- recent recently there was a um, there was a Masters event in Abu for the World Paddle Tour in Abu Dhabi, which was the oh, first so time Abu Dhabi. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, look, it's really interesting at the international level what's happening. Again, here's this sport kind of taking shape as we speak and at the international level yeah you've got obviously the world paddle tour and premier paddle have been uh you know how do i put it um competitively sort of at it trying to decide who's going to be the the main tour to go to who can bring the players in um and yeah you've got you know world paddle tour which has obviously been around a lot longer but then you've got qatar sports investments and premier paddle coming up with this exciting new proposition as well um, obviously, you know, potentially more lucrative for, for the players to go and play. Um, and then to throw in the mix, just when you thought you, you know, had it figured out, you've got the A1 paddle tour, which was known as um, the APT, not to be confused with ATP tour. Um, yeah, you couldn't make it up with all these acronyms. <laughs> but uh, look, and, and they've obviously, they've got some backing from um, Ike Franco and, you know, former, or no, he is a New York Yankees um uh owner in 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 the states so you've got some u.s investments so are they going to be expanding in north america so it's really interesting to see where these pieces are going to fit together um and again it's it's not the exciting answer to have but it's a little bit right now it's you know wait and see isn't it because um it's a, a bit of a state of flux right now with the international tours but again in two years i don't think it will be i think we'll know has there been a merger or which tour is focused on which area of the world that kind of thing so, I mean, the exciting thing is that all this is happening in front of our eyes. And actually, um, you know, again, in other sports, it's not so much because they've been around so long. Um, but it can be as well. It can be unsettling for players who just want, a bit, you know, each player I speak to, they're like, look, of course, you know, you want to go where prize money is good, but I just want to play. And I, I don't really want the politics. That's just background noise. So to to them, it's like, let's just um, <laughs> let's just have the best competitions possible, the best best matches um and try and make a good living out of it and what do you think how long will it take to to overthrow the spanish-speaking uh pros like because basically what it is is that we know that um now the with the with the masters uh now um the nano and uh stupa stupa check i think yeah. is um it's a weird pronunciation and i'm i'm not really good with the argentinian names but um they want it and um and it was a bit of a surprise for me because I thought that LeBron and, and Galan is literally unbeatable. And they were in the last four years uh, for some of the um, some of the listeners. They they are the world number one pairing. And, and obviously the other two guys who just won the Masters, they are, I think, in the top five. But yeah. they're definitely they're definitely not. They, they, it was a bit of a surprise, but they they played unbelievable. So what do you think? How long uh, will it be? before i think the swedish are the most likely at the moment who will break in and the italians as as when i've seen the rankings so how long will it take to have a sort of a tennis competition mind in terms of like yeah they're from all over the world 
Russian players, yeah, possibly not the best time to say Russian players at the moment, but let's say Ukrainian players and, yeah. and I don't know, Italian players and I don't know, African players. So what what sort of time frame are we looking at? What I know, well, I know it's just uh, it's just a, a rough time frame. But what do you think? Well, look, the, the the answer to your, your question there, I think, is um, it's it's going to take a long time. <laughs> it's a generational thing. So, um, you know, the, the yeah, you look at the world rankings and you see the flags and the, yeah, it's Spanish flags, Argentinians and Brazilians, some Italians now. Yeah, it's it's absolutely it's very, very limited that. That takes a long time to change because that takes unfortunately that takes like a whole generation of kids to get into paddle who grow up with paddle that means the facilities have got to be there that means that's almost got to be their default sport they go and play after school rather than tennis or football whatever it is so for that to happen the infrastructure has to be there so it's yeah i mean I'm, i think we're talking years and years away if i'm honest um before we really start to see if you want a true reflection of how the world is and it to be a, a properly globalized sport at the professional level we're probably talking a few decades away um, and even then, for that to happen, the you know the it's got to even out. So the infrastructure's got to be good, and the training systems and the academies have got to be good in these other countries. And that's not to say Spain and Argentina don't continue to you know improve the way they can deliver the sport. So a lot's got to change. But look, of course, of course, it's possible. Um, you know, there will have been other sports that have been predominantly dominated by one country or another, and now increasingly they're more globalized because we live in a more globalized world. That's the natural evolution. Um, but I think, yeah, the bigger question is like when we talk about paddle as a global sport, I, I don't think we can truly say it's global until those professional players have it's a more diverse group of countries represented at the top, the top of the rankings. So, you know, we look at how globalized it is. We look at we need to look at, yes, the professional rankings and, and what flags are making up those rankings. We need to look at um, participation rates at the amateur level in each country. Uh, which, you know, sponsors and brands, which countries are they coming from? Um, uh, where's the investment coming from? Where's the media attention? So all of these things are factors as to how we can call it global. Um, but yeah, one of the main factors has to be the top, top players and where are they from? And that's that's a long way off still. Yeah, I mean, we can just hope and pray that sooner or later some of the some of the countries which are not represented in the world rankings will will definitely make a breakthrough. Because uh, and hopefully that that might be Miss Norton uh, who will who will make make the first wave. Yeah, well, look, I mean, you know, and, and players are very aware of it. So you know, a couple of British players I look after um, with the with, with PR and communications, um, Sam Jones and Nikhil Mahindra, both in the GB squad, and look, they've. They both um, both base themselves in Spain because they know their level can be significantly enhanced by training there, and that's no doubt. You know, they're both proud Britons, but they like they they see the opportunity to get their game higher, quicker by by moving to Spain and playing with a higher caliber of player. So they're very well aware that they need to do that to give themselves the best shot at getting as far as they can. And there will be many others crossing those borders for that very reason. So that's the reality right now. In an ideal world in years to come, obviously, you have a great homegrown system with, you know, the, the best facilities possible, the best players to play with. And then, you know, you don't have to make that choice. Um, but I think now it's pretty much you want to get to the top. You definitely need to make those moves um, because otherwise your progression will, will be slower. Yeah, I, I could just see that I was uh, I was in Spain last week and uh, 
obviously there's pedal courts everywhere and um and i have had some uh just a nosy of of some pedal sessions behind me and and the level the guys just really casual guys i don't know how good they were to be fair i haven't even asked them but the the level of of their bandejas and 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 however they hit i i i my smash is not too bad but you know those guys can just generate so much more power by by the the sheer motion of of their hits it's just unbelievable so yeah i mean i'm i can definitely i can definitely agree with that and to be fair uh the weather doesn't really help here and and what i just wanted to put I mean, now I know that most of the pedal um, uh, courts and and the facilities will have uh, cover over their heads, or or it will be you know in a in a huge hangar or something like that. So it it is it is great that that actually pedal is is on that. Um, so they 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 build the courts with the thought that it it can be a twelve months sport rather than with tennis uh, and the outdoors. You you might have to leave a few weeks, a few months off because it's just too cold, it's too wet, and and that's happening with with tennis. And that was one of the reasons I got into paddle in the first place. Although I really wanted to try it, but that is that is something which which will be a big uh, positive in terms of if we want to compare tennis to paddle. Um, yeah. And, and last thing, cause, cause I, I really appreciate it. And, and I think we covered a lot and I don't really want to be a nuisance. And I know that we, we have to be very of the time is, um, is your plans for, for pedal 22 for the next few years and what, what you would like to achieve and what, what, how you can see yourself. It, it feels like a job interview, but don't take it that way, <laughs> but, uh, how you see yourself and how pedal 22 can evolve. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's a really exciting opportunity for us. Um, obviously, I wouldn't have taken the the plunge and done it if I didn't think there was a a great opportunity to to be had and something to you know to to help shift in the sport. Um, and yeah, we want to you know deliver the best communications, the best ways of reaching different audiences through the work we do, and that can be working with clubs, um, trying to get members locally or build their brands nationally if they're rolling out as a chain. That can be working with the players like we're doing with Tia and Nikhil and Sam. Um, and that can be working with the tours and tournaments. Um, it can be working with federations, helping them strategically. If they're, a, you know, if they're a tennis federation taking on paddle, how do they strategically do that as a business, keeping their tennis community happy and inviting a whole new community in. So there's that juggling act they've got to do. So, you know, doing strategic work with these federations is a really important part of what we do helping run media operations at events that more hands-on delivery um yeah the, you know there's a lot what, of what you know we do um that i think is going to really help market the sport um hopefully bring it to a wider audience of people um and hopefully you know in the years to come you know where we see the big opportunities is it's uk is great but there's big big markets out there you know the middle east the uae is i see a, the, the big growth market where i'm I'm looking that that there's opportunities. There's the US and Canada. People haven't been really focused on that because they're focused on pickleball. But look, that's the world's biggest sports market. Um, it's they just don't have the courts yet, but I think they will. A lot of a lot of Americans will fall in love with the sport when when there's paddle courts. So that has to be another emerging market coming up. And then Australia, they're at the beginning of their paddle journey. They just had their um, fifth event on on the side of the Australian Open. Um, and they've got Callum Beal down there doing doing a great job. And uh, I think, look, there's there's the whole Asian market as well. I mean, it's there's so much to explore. 
um and there's so many parts of the world that i think this sport will appeal to um yeah where we want to we want to to work and help help get it on the radar so that's that's what we're there to do and um we're we're enjoying the start we've made great i i just cannot even say anything else apart from uh thank you for the interview i really really enjoyed it and i hope that the listeners can um actually just um um relate and hopefully start playing pedal if someone hasn't started yet and um yeah I'm I'm hoping and and we also talked about it that Marcus Del Pilar uh, will also uh, feature in in the podcast. He is uh, responsible for the growth of uh, the U.S. battle, so hopefully he will be um, part of of this series. But in the meantime, um, I couldn't have really started with a better person. So I really really do appreciate it, Ben. Brilliant, thanks, Dennis. So kind of you to say, and I really enjoyed the time. Thank you. <laughs>